It's 1001 LA Nights. This is LA Rivers with you. It's May, and May is all about publishing. In this episode, we're talking to author and editor Richard Ryan. Rick is a great Sherlock Holmes author, and he is, in fact, uh, recognized by the Baker Street Irregulars, who, if you are a Holmes fan, uh, are kind of the standard keepers of Sherlock Holmes canon. In that vein, Richard uh, has some amazing experiences. I know him as Rick Ryan from Twitter. He's been on here before as an author, but today he's going to lend his vast experience as a newspaper man and professional editor for authors in all genre, and including the publishing house that puts out the Sherlock Holmes novels. It's a very niched and successful publishing house. Um, Rick shares his wisdom, and I encourage you to listen to that interview. There's so many pearls of wisdom, and I always enjoy having Rick on as a guest. We talk about the things you need to know as an author on how to interview an editor and find the right people to work with you to polish up those book babies. Now, remember, when you're submitting to an agent or a publishing house, it doesn't have to be, you know, the final piece. There's editing that happens after you're accepted. But we talk a little bit about things that writers need to know about editors and how to choose one that works for you. Also, it's Mother's Day weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all of you who are mothers. Uh, To those of you who are not or have strained relationships, it's not always a happy day. But, you know, pick it as a day to do whatever you do. I wrote a special short story for this episode because I decided to record a short story I wrote last year about a mother and daughter experience of a fairly traumatic event and how they walk through that together and that is uh, for patrons only and you can find out more about that later on in the podcast. So without further ado, here's Rick Ryan talking all things editing. we have Rick Ryan back with us again. We spoke to him with his author's hat on, probably like Sherlock Holmes hat because he's a Sherlock Holmes author. Now we're speaking to him as an editor, both for a traditional publisher and as a freelancer. This is celebrating Pit Mad coming up in June, so I want all of you to welcome Rick Ryan with his editor's hat on. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Doing very well. So, uh, what what kind of hat is the editor's hat? <laughs> well, again, it depends on whether you want to talk editing for my publisher or editing on a freelance basis for authors hoping to get published. Two very different hats. So, yeah, before we get to either one, what makes those hats different? Okay, uh, on a freelance basis, well, as you know, there are all different types of editors, mm-hmm. and they can be combined. You can ask someone to copy edit your book, 
looking for grammatical errors, looking for spelling errors. You can ask someone to do an evaluation edit. You know, is this will this does this have a chance to be published? Does it have a chance of being picked up? Mm-hmm. And then you can ask someone to do a line edit, where they'll go through and they're looking for continuity. They're making sure that names are spelled consistently throughout the book. They're making sure there are no plot holes. You know, right? I try, when I when I'm editing a book for my publisher, I do all three. Mm-hmm. And you know,、uh, I just finished a book, interesting book, very well written, but the dialogue, the banter, the interplay between Sherlock Holmes and John Watson and Inspector Lestrade seemed more suited to the show Sherlock、mm-hmm. than the traditional canon of Condor.、Right. So you know, I said, you got options here. I said the easiest thing is to get rid of, you know, rewrite the book, and understand that that from a canonical point it'll work. But these are the things that you have to change. Right. And now I'm not sure where we are with that book. I gave that back to him just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And so making the point of, you know, so as an editor, and obviously you're working in the Sherlock Holmes arena. Right.、Um, It does matter if it's canon or not. Yeah, I tell people, and I've told him, and he loves this analogy. I said, you know, that the Sherlock Holmes canon is like a coloring book.、Mm-hmm. You know, we don't care what colors you use. Right. We care what combinations you put them in. But you better stay inside the lines. <laughs> right, right. Because yeah, otherwise it's something else. Just like、exactly. the show. You know, he kept some things so it's recognizable, but、right. it's on its own deal. Yeah, I mean, there was a Sherlock Holmes book. Mycroft Watson, Sherlock's brother in the canon,、yeah. is tremendously overweight,、mm-hmm. and he only goes from the Diogenes Club to his office to his yeah. flat. Yeah, you know, that's his routine. Yep. And I mean, I read a book years ago where、uh, Holmes and, and his brother went on a canoe trip or a punting trip. I'm saying no. No. Yeah, no, no. Microsoft's not getting in a canoe, and neither is Sherlock, for that matter. Yeah, that was one of the things on the the BBC show that kind of got me. I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute, Microsoft's like huge." Yeah, you know, huge. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe they think they're getting away with it because the characters are younger. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Yeah,、huh. they just. I mean, they took the liberty. They changed、yeah. it. That's fine. They did the same thing on Elementary when they had a.、Uh, Resiphons, right? Playcroft, yeah. You know, so I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but you can't have your story be ninety percent or ninety-five percent canonical, right? And then you know, there's this jarring thing; it just doesn't work, right? And so it's congruency. So when and and let's take Sherlock Holmes out of the mix、right. for our listeners. You know, so making things, making sure things are congruent, right? You know, so that that is important, and you might have reasons for having it, but an editor will help you sort through、yeah. those those places.、Um, so, I was curious when you were talking about、um, as a freelancer,、right. looking at giving an analysis. Does、okay. the book have a shot? What What are you looking for in that specifically? 
I'm looking for a plot that A holds my interest. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I I will read anything. I'm a very I'm voracious in that sense. You know, mm-hmm. I will read romance, para romance, supernatural, horror. I'll read everything. Right. Does it hold my interest? But more importantly, does it hang together? Mm-hmm. And you know, I just finished a book for a, an author, and when we got all done, I said, "Okay." Yeah, I usually try to read them at least two or three times. Mm-hmm. I said, "What I would suggest for the this one group of characters, you need to give them a different voice mm-hmm. because they're immortals." I said, "They can't talk like." You know your main character, who's a regular 20th century girl,、mm-hmm. and we just talked about formalizing their speech and making them distinct.、Mm-hmm. And the transition when she re- when she did it, and I read it a second time, it was like night and day. All of a sudden, you have real characters on the page, right? You know, it's just a subtle little thing. Yeah,、it、didn't require a whole lot of rewrites. It just required going back, removing contractions, removing slang. Substituting a more formalized, you know, English pattern, English、mm-hmm. sentence, and now you've got wow, totally, totally distinct characters. Right, right. So that's that's one of the things、um, editors do is they help authors improve, take take that great idea and 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 you know execute that idea. Right.、And、I think a lot of writers are afraid of. Having their work messed with, and what are and your thoughts? Rightfully so. Rightfully so. I mean, it, it's their work, and I, I, I tell people this when I go to work for them because that's how I see myself. You're hiring me. I'm your employee.、Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's what I can do. What exactly do you want me to do?、Mm-hmm. Two very different things. Right. You know. If you want me to supply dialogue and and spaces that need it, I will. If you want to just do that dialogue yourself, I'll indicate where we need to make a transition, where we need something clarified, you know. And I'll give the choice of how they want me to handle.、It. That's nice. That's true editing. That's nice. That's nice to hear. Not every editor works the same way either. No, I mean I, I've had you know I've had my own stuff edited,、mm-hmm. and I will say that I've only had very, very fortunate. I've only had one bad editor in my entire life who made my stuff worse,、mm-hmm. and she had no business being an editor. Right. You know, every other editor I've worked with, I mean, they really have your best interests at heart because your work. If you gave me your manuscript. It's a reflection of you, and to a minor, 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 minor degree, it's a reflection of me. Because you're gonna say, you know, we're rich edited this, right? Okay. So it, you know, and I mean, I tell people that say, do you want me to put you in the credits? It's entirely up to you. Right. If you want to, fine. If you don't, I'm fine either way. I don't need the acknowledgement. I do the work for the work. Right. Right. I was gonna say, I, I anything I've had edited, I've had, I have one editor. That I work with, and she's—I always say. Well, I think I shared her name. I shouldn't have because she's worth her weight in gold. She's mine. She's all mine. Right.、Um, and I always acknowledge her because、um, she just makes me so much better. And she doesn't send me back my manuscript with, you know, fix this typo. 
you know, I had before I hired her years ago, um, I tried working with some copy editors and they would just send back like my manuscript highlighted for me to fix. I'm like, wait, but I'm paying you just fix, fix the typo, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah. that's why I hired you fix it. I don't want, <laughs> I can run a spell yeah. check, you know? <laughs> yeah. I will highlight the word if I want to change something. And usually I'm changing it because, you know, like Eddie Wright, I'm sure you've done it. And I know I've done it. You get into a habit where you fall in love with a word. Right. And you don't realize that you've used the word four times in four set, four successive sentences. Yeah. Yep. And I will spot that and I will go back and I right. will, you know, highlight it and use the strike through method. Right. Put a synonym in and bold it. Right. And indicate why I'm making these changes. Right. That's different. That that's acceptable on the send back. The when you when you type the wrong, just fix it. Just fix it. Yeah, just fix it. But if it needs a comma, just fix it. Yeah, just fix it. That's yeah. my, you... my editor was very excited when I'm like, don't hand it back. Just if those things show up, I type really fast. Just yeah. Fix the obvious stuff, and then on like if I use shrugged fifty times, <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah, to exactly. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just put the apostrophe in. Right. Put the put the right, you know, homophone in. Yeah. And we'll take care of the rest of it later. Right. Exactly. That I'm right with you. High five through the internet. Um, <laughs> so, what makes a uh, when when you are when you're working and you're you're looking at a manuscript to see does it have a shot? What what makes a manuscript now holding interest, plot congruencies? Um, else you know there are re- there are writers whose prose just flows mm-hmm. and you you really don't want to stop mm-hmm. and those are the ones that you kind of know right off the bat yes yeah. this, this is pretty good yeah. yeah this this is something that people will enjoy reading right others you know it, it's it's laborious to read mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know you're sitting there and you're saying like I'd like to rewrite this. Let me see what he or she wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can tighten it up. We can clean it up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think authors, you know, I went through this whole discussion with an author today. That whole difference between telling and showing. Right. And, you know, authors, new authors especially, are more inclined to tell. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't been taught or they don't know how to show. Right. And I, you know, I went through, spent about 30 minutes talking with this guy, explaining the difference, you know, between, uh, you know, telling me that the house is haunted and communicating to me through dialogue, through the reactions of characters that the house is haunted. Right. And, you know, it's far more effective if you can show writers, readers, you know, let them draw their own conclusions based on what you've put out there. Right. E.J. Dawson and I talked about that in her interview a couple of weeks ago where she wrote a it's it's just a remarkable story. I've, I've got a sneak peek of it and did a sneak peek reading and she was it, it's a it's a psychological thriller slash right. normal. She laughed a lot to the reader's imagination. And I, I was like, yes, let them, you know, assume they're smart enough yeah. to get it. You know, don't be too vague, too esoteric. But at the same time, you know, you don't need. I, there was a, a 
it might have been late 90s 2000s where early 2000s where really graphic description became very popular and i think it comes it cycles around because the 70s were kind of like that too oh it does and, it does and i that turned me off because i was like I, i'm really i have a really vivid imagination <laughs> so it's like i i can assume the worst behind a closed door i don't need it described further um a la Silence of the Lambs. Don't read that book. Just <laughs> I did. I read that book. I almost threw up. It was it was that descriptive. I've never had a book make me lose my cookies before. But um, well, the lotion, Clarice. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> it was it was an interesting read. Um, far worse than the book. I mean, the movie. Yeah. The movie is is half as scary. Um, I was twenty one, I think, when I read it. But um, anyway, it always comes to mind of that such graphic depiction and yeah we, we you know we go through cycles I see, I'm sure you do too I see these mm-hmm. angst ridden uh, for lack of a better I guess dialogues on Twitter you know and to me if you have a good story yeah. and you've written a good story I don't care what point of view you use right I don't care if it has a prologue right care if it has an epilogue right the sto- a good story will always find a home right and you know there was a whole twitter rant recently about prologues they're out of fashion who cares yeah you know i mean really that's you know work your craft right don't worry about the prologue if you need the prologue put the prologue in right right and and an editor is going to see that and if if the prologue, if you even if you think the prologue is necessary, and it gets to a publisher, and they decide it doesn't need a prologue, but that part is it important, they'll they'll help you work it in. Exactly, exactly. Anything you have in a prologue can probably be transported to someplace else in the novel, somewhere near the beginning. Yeah. So that this way, you know, it, you're not losing that information. Right. But it's becoming important yeah and that's the thing you don't want to do is lose that information now whether you structure it as a prologue right whether you structure it in the context of a character that remains to be seen exactly exactly and i actually kind i'm kind of partial to prologues and epilogues but i read a lot of 19th century literature and they were popular (laughs) so yeah to me it's a comfort thing um but i understand you know again things cycle um yeah that whole ink thing write and write as well as you can and, and editors so what what's the biggest mistake you see come across your desk on either desk uh i think you know people get preoccupied with word lengths i think mm-hmm. you know that you have to write eighty thousand words that you have to write a hundred thousand words or they take it to the other extreme you know this this shouldn't be more than 60. Mm -hmm. and i think word length has gotten so important and to me you know a story will tell itself that's the way i write i mean i'm a pantser i'm not a plotter right and you know i can see where stories have been padded because they feel like they need to get to eighty thousand words or i can look at a really short almost a novella kind of thing and say wow this could really be developed Mm -hmm. into something you know something different something better 
Right. Right. Yeah, I was a little shocked by that myself upon returning to the writing community after a many year hiatus. Seeing the word count be so emphasized and I was like, yeah. you realize that word count was important. It's important in journalism because you're going on column inches. Right, exactly. You know, it was important when all authors were paid by the word. Right. And I learned that from my journalism teacher in high school because I was reading um, Jane Eyre. Okay. And there were 10 chapters that made no sense. Right. And I asked, because it was all just description, had nothing to do with the story. And I was, I looked at her and went, what? Did authors get paid by the word back then? Because she was, you know, I was in working on the newspaper and reading that on my own. It, it, it got assigned, I think, two years later, but I was like a freshman or something. And she was like, yes, actually, authors did used to get paid by the word. And I was like, yeah. this makes so much sense now. But we don't get paid by the word anymore. No, that explains so much of Dickens. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> right? right? Almost all of them. Um, yeah. You know, stories, stories, I think, I mean, this is just my own opinion. Stories are organic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a natural beginning, a natural middle, and a natural end. And some authors can give you that whole story right. in 50,000 words. Okay, right. great. Some will take 70, some will take 80. Right. But when you start getting to 100 and 120,000, 140,000 words, I think you're doing something that you probably don't need to be doing. Right. 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 Over explaining, or to use, the, to use my wife's favorite phrase, you got a lot of authors out there mansplaining. <laughs> I'm with her on that. And and it can be pedantic. Um, it can. Yeah, it can be really pedantic. I, I see a lot of great stories, um, often in high fantasy, um, that kind of get skewed because they're overwriting. You know, right. where it was a really great story idea. And I'm like, well, can we just get to the fight? Can we just get to the kiss? Can we, you know, yeah. can, can, can we just, you know, I'm kind of like a 12-year-old kid. I'm like, come on, get to the action. Um, an author who has been traditionally published that um, I really enjoy, I found him when he was a new author, Jim Butcher, and he wrote the Harry Dresden Files um, and also the uh, Caldera Alexa, kind of it's a sword and horse novel series. But anyway, his first books weren't well written, right? but the story was great. And he did something a lot of authors don't do. He improved his craft over time. He didn't just stay, you know, he didn't just go, oh, I've had four or five books published. I'm just going to stay this way. He, he actually just, he went to more writing classes because he could have yeah. to at that point. You know, he could do more. And he took these stories and just refined them with better writing. But I, I hung on to it because at first I was like, well, the writing's kind of so-so, but man, that's a cool premise. Right. And I couldn't put the book down after a little bit. And I thought, wow, I don't care that his writing style is a bit rough, you know? Right. Um, I really urge writers to just write your freaking story. I, I think I'm hearing that from you, you know, because it can be yeah. polished. Write story. Exactly. Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh how does just I'm giving people a little insight into the traditional world. So your publisher is who, and 
how do they operate and and how do books get assigned to you as an editor okay my publisher is mx publishing uh it's owned by a man named steve whose last name is mx but it's he spells his last name e-m-e-c-z nice and it's pronounced m-x mm-hmm. and he's based in london so he publishes primarily Sherlock Holmes related material. Uh, there are a couple of other books that he will publish, usually uh, charitable kind of things. But most of what he publishes, I would say 98% is Sherlock Holmes related, whether it be about Conan Doyle, whether it be pastiches, whether it be short story collections. And I edit most of what he publishes. He sends it to me for an evaluation. And you know he'll say read the first ten chapters and tell me what you think, and I'll make a recommendation. Say yeah, this is really worth pursuing. Or no, let's let's you know go another way. Right. And uh, once I get it, you know, once he decides that we're going to do this, then I go back and I read it a second time. You know, looking for uh, the grammar, the spelling, the punctuation. And then, you know, a third time, looking for continuity, plot holes, looking to improve it where we can. Nice. And he's, you know, he's he's very, very good, you know, that way in the sense that he wants to put out the best product that he can. Right. Now, see, right there, you did this too. Um, last week's guest, uh, Nicole. Bisamon, Bisan. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say her last name. I'm gonna say it wrong. She can laugh. She'll laugh. She has a great laugh. Um, she's an agent, and she said the same thing. The best product, and again, emphasizing that the art and craft of writing is one thing. Publishing is another. The book is a product. Right. And that's that's again. I think it's very difficult for authors to understand uh yeah you have written and you have slaved and you have poured yourself into this book but you because you've done that you can't step back and look at it objectively right the way i can or the way you can or the way any other reader can right and you know I may want to cut something, and you know, he or she may be terribly attached to it. Right. But, you know, fortunately, there. You know, most authors uh, are not that attached to their work. But I've met others. You know, few. They're in the, you know, majority right. who don't want you to change anything. Right. Even right. when it's even when it's patently wrong. Right. Right. I yeah. And see, I'm cruel to my own work. I, I'll hack and slash it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I get that. I mean, it is personal. But maybe, I don't know. Again, you come from newspapers. I right. I trained for that. And then I wrote, you know, I've been a hired gun in marketing and, and, right. and you know, writing for hire. Um, you learn to let go. Yeah, you have to. I mean, the newspaper was great for that because, you know, you, you would be writing a story and you'd have a deadline. And you turn the story in, and as you're driving home, you know you say, "Oh, I could have put this in. I could have put that in. I could have done all these other things. I should have used that verb." You know? Right. But it's gone. It's done. It's you know? done. And under the authors, 
authors have to realize, okay, you know, it is my child. I have carried it. I have born it. I have birthed it. Uh, but now I have to let somebody else educate it. Yeah. Shape it and form it. Yeah. You know. And it grows up and it moves out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just like uh, Khalil Gibran said, your children are from you. They are not of you. Exactly. So, yeah, and that's our books. They have to go out into the wild and fend for themselves. And if they don't have, they're not shaped right, just like if you don't raise your kids, they're going to be annoying around other people. Same with our books. Um, (laughs) It's just, (laughs) raise those books, people. Right. Don't let them run around the grocery store. Yeah. You know, (laughs) shape them and, 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 you know, again, I think writers, you know, the other, the other thing I see with writers, and again, this is just, you know, an observational kind of thing, is they're way too hard on themselves. Oh, gosh, yes. Right? I mean, we yeah. all are. I yeah. am. I, I am. Oh, I am too. And, you know, there reaches a point where, you know, you, you have to let it go. Whether you give it to a beta reader or you give it to an mm-hmm. editor or you give it to your best friend, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But let it go and get some honest feedback. Yeah. And they might kind of, maybe they're going to tell you it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, you, everyone hopes for that. But I mean, you need to get you need to get feedback so yep. that you know. Okay, I need to improve this, or you know, I've had ten people read it and they all tell me it's really good. Maybe it is really good. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I have. Um, I spent a month writing this short story, and it felt like it was taking forever because, in general, I write pretty fast. Right. And. Um, I sent it to another author friend of mine on Twitter who I trust to give good feedback and and he was like I was like okay tell me if this is too slow because the writing is going really slow and the story feels really slow because I don't normally write that slow I was like taking hours to form a paragraph right you know it was just a weird experience it's a it's a good story but I was like is this too slow and I sent it to my mom because my mom's the boring person if it's too boring (laughs) she'll let me know because my mom doesn't necessarily like to read (laughs) so she'd be like this is boring you bored me fix it um but the other writer came back and he goes no this is like a Walt and I was really touched because I didn't expect that feedback I was expecting to hear yeah you need to speed it up a bit he's like this is a Walt and I was like, oh, dude, cool feedback. Because I was really harshing on my own writing at that point. Um, so I think having people, whether it's your editor or just yeah. beta readers or friends, you know, on Twitter writing community, hello, yeah. you have the other only, writers. The only, the only caveat I have with that, and this is, again, a personal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I would suggest if you're going to give it to people, wait until you're done do right. not give them the first five chapters or the first ten right. chapters because that's just to me, in, in my world that's just asking for trouble right no I agree that that's a good one um, that's important and I think um, people can lose steam on their writing if they put it out and get criticism oh, too early absolutely you can lose steam and you can lose the, the drive to mm-hmm. finish you know, and, and, and not because necessarily because it's bad, but even because it's really good. You know, someone right. comes back, gee, that's that's really really good. They say, well, that's uh, you know, I'm okay. Right. And, you know, you've you've gotten the applause, you've gotten the reward in a sense, 
you know, why, why bother? That's a really good point. That's a really good point to psychologically drive yourself. Just wait till it's done. That was really yeah. good advice. That that was great. Um, I don't even I don't even tell my wife mm-hmm. what the book is about until it's done. I don't even tell her the title until wow. it's done. There you go. And I mean, you know, we living together. <laughs> right. Exactly. For a while, I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's that's good advice. Yeah. And you don't know how long a book's going to take to write. I mean, one no. might pop out, you know, in weeks and then revision, you know, for a couple months. And another, right. like this short story book I'm working on, um, it's taken a while because it's a totally different style of writing than I've ever done. And yeah. I didn't expect that. It's just curious to me. It's a great project, but it's totally different. I mean, I probably will never write anything like it again either. Um, but it's just that's what's up on deck. That's what the subconscious is pouring through. And, yeah. you know, so I kind of I was like, wow, I'm glad I had my friend's birthday wrong. And it's actually October and not March because I wasn't done. <laughs> so <laughs> and I'm writing it for her. So Yeah. But yeah. So um, any last words? We've got Pit Mad coming up in June. So people are going to be pitching their stories for agents to find. Um, agents like to have a manuscript. Uh, right. It does not have to be fully edited. Uh, but as an editor and, and, and a published author as well, because, you know, you've had your own editors and your own publishing right. journey. What's your advice to people pitching if they get selected by an agent? Be willing to listen. Okay. If, if you get picked up, they saw something in your story that they liked. And you at this point as, as the author are probably really close to it. And they're not. They're coming at it with fresh eyes. So something that they see that is a potential problem, you know, it may be your favorite scene, but they're looking at it and saying, for whatever reason, this scene, this dialogue, this snippet doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be amenable to change. Right. You know, let them, that's their job. They're trying to make you better. Right. And, right. you know, it's like a coach who, you know, realized, right. okay, what can I do to make this player better? How can I improve a golf swing or how can I improve right. a baseball swing? Right. You know, you've got to come out of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone is that book. Yep. You've got to step back from your comfort zone and say, okay, he or she wants me to change this. Right. And I mean, if you ask them why, they'll have a good reason, I would think. Yeah. They're not doing it, you know, just for giggles. They're doing right. it because they see a problem and they want to alleviate that problem and improve your work at the same time. Right. Right. It's it's their job to help you shape and exactly. the vision. Yeah. Um, I took voice lessons for years and years and years. Um, it was a classical singer in my youth. Okay. And the first year of voice lessons, I didn't get to sing. <laughs> yeah. I had to breathe. I learned how to breathe. I had to do sit-ups, which I thought, I was 13. I thought that was just the dumbest thing ever. Um, I had to do sit-ups. I couldn't sing. I could only, I learned how to speak again. Right. Um, it's why I know how to change my voice. Yeah. Um, when we're done, I'll tell you a great voice story. Yeah. And so it's the same with having an editor. Uh, you are doing things 
that seem like, why would I do that? Why would I make that change? But when you see the whole package, it can be perfect. Now, if it's completely incongruent and they don't have a good reason, you might want to pull, pull the contract. Yeah, exactly. You know, make sure that they can explain why they're doing this. Yeah. You know, and, and, and how, you know, what's their vision of the story and how does their vision of the story coincide with your own vision of the story having created it? Right. You know, and, and I mean, they should be fairly close to one another if you're going to work together. Right. You know, exactly. and I, I think the big thing is, as I said, you know, you have to be willing to change. You don't have to give up everything. Believe me, I'm not advocating wholesale changes. But when someone comes in and says, you know, maybe you want to change your point of view here. Maybe. And I, I think a good editor will always begin with that maybe. Right. Or the I think. Yeah. And it should be dialogue. It shouldn't be one way. Yeah. It should exactly. be, you know, free and open exchange of ideas, which we've seemed to have lost in this country. Yeah, it is interesting how it, it's we get so set. I mean, my editor will come to me with, it usually starts with, what were you meaning in this sentence? Right, exactly. You know, and I'll say, well, I meant this. And she's like, okay, what I read was this. And I'm like, right. oh, wow, really? And she's like, yeah. And she'd go back over it with me and I'd be like, oh, okay. So some, they can't mind read what I meant? Really? Exactly. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> yeah. huh, they're not inside my strange brain? Uh, Kevin Hearn is another urban fiction author, kind of, uh, kind of, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, magical realism. Right. Whatever it is. Anyway, he writes the Iron Druid series and he was another one I caught early in his career. I seem to pick these people that end up making it someday and I find them in a bookstore somewhere and go, oh, they're cool. He had only one complaint um, on one of his books and it was the cover choice by um, the publisher because they put the female character behind the male character. Right. And he was very angry about that and was pretty vocal because he felt the female character should have been standing side by side because he went from having an MC to having a team. Right. And, and, but because of society, because of X, I'm sure they, they made the decision on a commercial level yeah. um, and a proven method. And it's a business. So in business, people don't, um, they don't take risks. Yeah, they, we go back to what you said earlier. You know, it's a product. Right. And how you package that product is, is fairly important as well. And the cover is your packaging. Exactly. And I think that some businesses, especially larger publishing houses, and he's with one of the large ones, right. um, they're slow to catch trends. And so they might make a decision like a, a younger or smaller publishing house might have put the woman up front and center knowing that the popular zeitgeist is ready for it. Right. But the big publisher will look at the numbers and say, mm, we don't see evidence yet. Right. And so, you know, you got to keep that in mind too from a business perspective. So anyway, Rick, it's always a pleasure speaking uh, with you. And you your book, um, I'm going to have you put your author hat back on. Get the Sherlock okay. Holmes cap on. What is the Sherlock Holmes cap called exactly? I can't remember. Which one? My, the one of my... is investigating one? Uh, like... the, the, the one that's out, the latest one is the Druid of Death. 
Right. And it hit it hit a bestseller list, didn't it? Yeah, that was uh, oh no, that was Stone of Destiny. That was uh, you know top of the Sherlock Holmes list for about an hour in Great Britain. (laughs) But it was up there. (laughs) Well, I had you know I had my fifteen minutes of fame across the pond, I guess. All right. They change constantly, as you know. I mean, they're constantly fluctuating. You know, it's algorithms, but it's fun. And the thing I'm excited about, if I can do a bit of shameless promotion here, is. the next book I have coming out, I think I thought it was called The Merchant of Menace. Oh, yes. And uh, one of the things my publisher does, which is nice, it, you know, because again, he's, he's just small press, but he's really good. He's going to do a Kickstarter campaign for this. Oh, fun. Yeah. And he offers great rewards. I think he's, he was planning to start it sometime in May. Okay. And I will let you know. I'll, I'll let you know when uh, everything is out. I'll send you the details. Oh, that'd be great. Well, we'll have you back on again for that because I think that's great. And I look forward to seeing the Kickstarter. Uh, I think there's always, you know, innovative things we can do. But anyway, it was a pleasure having you on, Rick. Um, Thank you. We'll have you on again. You're going to be a favorite. Tell (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. All right. So I'll see you on Twitter. There's two stories for this episode. One of those is for patrons only, and it's an almost hour-long reading of the story, Her Experience, which is actually based off of an experience my daughter and I shared. It's fictionalized. Names are changed and yada, yada, yada. Uh, But the emotional experience and the resolution are actually um, a real experience. But today's story here on the podcast is My Babies by L.A. Rivers. 36 hours and 14 minutes after 39 weeks, 40 pounds, and that dozen brownies chased by dill pickles, tired, didn't begin to cover how she felt. Babe swaddled and tucked in her arms as they wheeled her out of the delivery room to recover. The last thing she saw before her eyes closed was the faces of Richard, Mom, and Augustine at the window waving excited hands and giving thumbs-up signs. Her eyes popped open four hours later when the nurses moved her to the private room she'd insisted on just for the one night. She knew she needed the solitude before going home with baby girl. Besides, her body hurt everywhere and in places she didn't know she could feel until now. The nurse brought in baby girl and settled the pair in the sterile room, ensuring baby was in the bassinet. The middle-aged woman bustled around being busy and tutting at Jin, then scurried out with instructions on bathroom use. Jin smiled and nodded, then rolled her eyes. Of course she washed her hands when handling a baby. Baby girl made a shaky mewling sound and Jin jumped out of bed, cursing when she stretched the stitches from the episiotomy. Ignoring the pinching, sharp pain, she grabbed the baby girl up and carried her to the bed and cuddled the wizened babe. Humming and cooing, she stared at the girl's tiny face, button nose, and softly ran a finger down her cheek. The skin so new and soft, fresh and clean. Jin bent down and breathed in the scent of her daughter. 
Exhaustion hit her again, so Jen laid back, tucking daughter in one arm nestled against her milk-swollen breasts. She didn't get much of a nap, though, because the family came in to greet the baby. Jen wanted to kick them all out, every single one of them, as they all claimed baby girl as their own. My baby, she thought angrily, as Richard and Augustine thanked her for their baby. Mom did a little better. She waited a minute or two to hold the baby. First child, first grandbaby on both sides. Jin smiled, thinking of how wanted her little girl was by everyone, but then felt resentment as they all pushed the visiting hours and didn't let her rest. Grandfathers came next, then cousins and aunties, a veritable well-wishers, a veritable parade of well-wishers, all claiming her baby. Jin tried to be polite, but she just wanted to hold her baby and go to sleep. Two years, nine months, six hours, and ten minutes later, baby boy came into the world. This time she'd booked two nights in the private room. She knew it would be the last restful sleep she'd get for several years. Just like when baby girl was born, the parade of well-wishers seemed unending. Second child, second grandchild, first son and grandson, everyone praising her reproductive efforts. Jen, Jen smiled and wished they'd leave, feeling like a brood mare in the face of their self-congratulatory conversations. My baby, she thought as they passed baby boy around until she claimed him back and demanded sleep. Two children, each with ten fingers and toes, healthy and brilliant, growing strong and secure in the umbrella of her love. When he left, it really didn't change a thing. He wasn't an active parent. When he eventually showed back up, she was the selfish one from barring him access. After all, kids need their father, even though he called saying he had a new family and couldn't be there for them now. My babies, she thought as she looked at the sleeping seven and four-year-old. She tucked the blankets around each child and kissed their foreheads, then sat up all night waiting just in case he made good on the threat to take them away. Dishes, laundry, cooking, shopping, mom taxi, working. Every day it ended the same and began again. Monotonous, never-ending, incredible demands, a hospital visit or school drama tossed in to shake things up and fray the ends of every frayed nerve. Yet when she saw them sleeping, the same thought ran gently in her mind. My babies. What do you want for Mother's Day? Baby girl asked 55 years, 8 months, and 12 days after their first meeting. To see my babies, Jen says. 55 years, 10 months, and 4 days later, laying in the hospital room, two people walk in and wake her. Don't they know I'm tired? Jen thinks as she opens her eyes, vision blurred without glasses. One pulls a chair next to the bed, and the other sits on the mattress by her feet and squeezes a toe. Mama, we got here as fast as we could. Baby boy's deep rumble greets her ears. Jin holds out a shaky hand, met by baby girls. We didn't know. Why didn't you say? Baby girl whispers. I did, Jin said softly, patting the bed. They sat together for 13 hours, 
and 43 minutes, wounds healed in laughter and often in silence, a ragged wheeze. Jin squeezed the hands that once curled around her fingers and whispered, my babies. I've promised to talk a little bit about indie stuff and self-publishing. Here's a caveat. If somebody's trying to charge you an arm and a leg to do self-publishing, stop. And if it's a vanity press, stop. Richard and I talked a little bit about that, and Leo McBride and I talk about that later in the month. Self-publishing is really where you take on the reins as your own publisher, and there are very affordable ways to do it. You can very much do it yourself. You don't need fancy software. You can just use Word and a template and upload it to Amazon. I'm putting together a class for uh, experts, coaches, people who teach knowledge to their students on how to put a workbook together uh, because I am helping a friend put their workbook together and I thought, you know, I can teach this. So I'm going to be putting that together and up for the Align Network International members. What is Align Network International? It's an organization I founded to help creatives and visionaries and passion-filled professionals get the support they need to build out their visions. It is not just a place where you get educated, it's a place where you learn um, the most effective form of communication with yourself and others. How to learn how to operate from an authentic space, meaning you're not living the shoulds, woulds, and coulds that everybody tries to tell you to live, but you're really taking direction from yourself and your own inner knowing. Plus, there's step-by-step planning and focus activities to teach you how to focus and gain the discipline to execute those visions into a reality. So with self-publishing, it's not just write the book, slap it into the Word file and get it up on Amazon. There's still stuff you need to do. You need to have editing, and that doesn't mean you have to go out and pay an arm and a leg. In fact, anyone charging arm and a leg is probably somebody you want to second guess. Now, what's an arm and a leg? Um... I would say if somebody's charging you three grand to edit a manuscript, it's probably a little much. Likewise, if somebody wants to charge several thousand dollars for a cover, it's probably a little much. Anytime you get into several thousand dollars for anything that doesn't include a marketing budget, it's a little much. As we go along through the month of May, I'll be talking more about this. I do want to give a word about promoting. Now, in episode, I believe, 27, I did a special book promotions that don't break the bank episode. Go ahead and scroll through and you'll find that episode, book promotions that don't break the bank. The best way you can promote the book is really talking about writing it, enjoying it, and playing with other people and getting to know them. The really best way to build an audience is to engage with them, get to know them. Not everyone is going to be a member of your audience. Not everyone is going to like your book, but you do want to find the ones who will. And you do that by engagement, not by just shouting at the rooftops, you know, hear about my book, I'm going to push this. 
that's one of the things I dislike about lots of so-called writing communities is everybody is clamoring for attention instead of actually engaging in building relationships. Marketing is about building relationships, point blank. You want people to um, get to know you, who you are. You don't have to give out tons of private information, but who you are as an author. And you can do that by sharing little short stories on Twitter, doing the VSS, or yeah, very short stories. VSS is the hashtag. You can um, play word games. You can tweet about character development. You don't have to give a ton of information about your story, but you can bring people in to your world. And it's practice and practice makes perfect. So don't expect to get it off the, the, get it right, right off the bat. Here's the other thing. If you wait till you hit the publish button to promote your book, you're about six months too late. You want to start getting onto podcasts and writing short stories or writing articles or blogging or engaging with people before you ever hit publish so that once you do start promoting your book, they're ready and waiting for you. I'm L.A. Rivers, and I look forward to seeing you next week when we have writing coach and consultant Mocker S. Staunton, who is both a patron and an amazingly uh, talented fellow who also knows how to make a lady happy by putting up amazing gifts of a certain cowboy. You can find out more next week. I'm L.A. Rivers. Once again, it's always a pleasure having you listen here on 1001 L.A. Nights. And remember, Scheherazade told stories to save her skin. I tell stories to stay in mine. Thank you.